It's February. Anybody notice? It's a little warmer than January, at least so far. February is a good month in my calendar. Anybody want to guess why? Not my birthday, not my anniversary, good things, but no, not this time of year. Baseball, yes. Pitchers and catchers report, guys. How come you guys aren't that excited? A little bit, Marty, right? Just a little bit? Okay. Pitchers and catchers report. I have an affection for baseball. And you know it is actually a deep affection for me because today's the Super Bowl when I should be talking about football, but I'm talking about baseball. Baseball's like way up here and football's kind of like here. <laughs> Hockey's down here. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I love baseball. But the affection isn't just baseball in general. I actually, and I may get a few more boos for this, I actually have an orientation for that affection, and, and it goes towards the Detroit Tigers. All right, just get it out. Come on. All right, all right. The pitchers and catchers report on February 13. The, the full squad reports and has their first workout on February 18. The first game of the of the spring training season is February 23. The first game of the real season is March 28. Guess who they play? The Jays <laughs> in Toronto. Yeah. Affection orientation. See my my affection, those things I delight in, that sense of playfulness, it, it lives in the heart. And each of us have those type of affections. It may not be for baseball or any sport for that matter, but we do have those things that we delight in. And and those delights aren't just these big general things, but they actually have a focus to them. Some sense of uh, of something that gives them shape. That, that allows you to discern between what's outside of it and what's inside. What's, what's really at the heart of things. And the story that we're encountering today, actually the three little segments of a story that all come one right after another. They're all woven together and they're getting at this idea of affection and orientation. What's the affection in our heart towards God? And, and how is that oriented through Jesus Christ? In other words, because of Jesus, what do we say no to? What do we risk letting go of? We'll explore that together. The first thing I want to do is, is pay attention to the question that's in this text. Who do people say that I am? Seems like kind of an odd question, doesn't it? Your teachers behind their backs, but normally the teacher doesn't ask for that type of, of feedback. road 
as they're journeying out of out of what is properly Israel into what they would have said is the Gentiles' territory, into a city called Caesarea Philippi. There would have been some Jews there, but it really would have been a city that was mostly people from other nations and certainly, certainly evidence of the Roman Empire. In fact, there was a huge temple in this city dedicated to the god Pan, the god of the earth, and, and they they would have been journeying to this city essentially into foreign territory, enemy territory. And as they're walking out of Israel into a place of vulnerability for them as Jews, Jesus is saying to the disciples, who do people say that I am? And they give the initial good teacher responses. Well, you're Elijah, Moses, one of the prophets, one of the big names in history. And it's quite something for that to be recognized. The public kind of whirl around Jesus is, he's one of the great ones. He's really good. Like, he's one of the top tier. <laughs> it's not just some guy like the other people who have come along claiming to be a Messiah. He might actually be one of those good ones that God does something great through and and generations after us, remember. Then Jesus does something interesting. He switches the question. It's not just an academic, curious question about who do we think Jesus, who do the people think Jesus is. He, He turns it and points it directly to his disciples. Who do you say that I am? Forget what everybody else says. Who do you say that I am? That question sit with you. Pretend for a moment we're standing there. How would you answer it? And by this point, you've seen Jesus feed the 5,000. You've seen him heal people. You've actually seen arms that were deformed grow straight. <laughs> you've seen him turn water into wine. How would you answer? Who do you say that I am? I mean, this question comes up elsewhere in Scripture. When people are encountering God, it's Samuel laying in the temple, and it says curiously in the text that before he knew the Word of God, before he understood who God was, he hears this voice in the night as he's a kid, and he thinks it's Eli talking to him. So he gets up and runs. Yes, Eli, you called me. And Eli says it wasn't me. And it happens three times that he goes running over to Eli. He doesn't know who God is yet. Finally, Eli says, the next time you hear that voice, just say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. He goes through this process of, of learning and discovering who God is. Paul, on the road to Damascus, he's still Saul at that point, called Saul. He's going to persecute people, and he's, he's blinded by this light. And Jesus speaks to him and says to him, Who are you perse- why are you persecuting me? And his response is, Who are you, Lord? 
This question comes up again and again and again in the Old Testament and New Testament. When people are encountered by God, one of the things they do is, Who are you, Lord? Because the revelation of who he is is much bigger than what we can comprehend. This really is the fundamental question of our discipleship. Who do we say that Jesus is? Peter gives the proper response. You know that Sunday school answer joke? says, so kids, what's brown and has a fuzzy tail, sits in a tree and likes to eat nuts? And the kid raises his hand and says, Jesus! Because they're in Sunday school. And Peter gives the answer. You're the Messiah! But quite honestly, as we see in this text, Peter has no clue what that actually means. He says, says he's the Messiah. He's got it right. He's God's Messiah, the Savior, the one who's come into the world, the Son of David, the one who's going to set everything right again. It's where we move into the concerns in the text. You see, Jesus says, You're right, Peter. I am the Messiah but I'm going to die. And I'm not just going to die because some marauder catches us on the road. I'm not going to die from old age. I'm not going to die because the Roman government has their way. I'm going to die because the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders, the people who are supposed to be the best that the world has to offer in terms of a relationship with God, they're going to kill me. Peter can't stand it, can he? Do you see the audacity in the text? Did you hear that? He walks up to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, we got to talk. <laughs> you got it all backwards here. You're not going to die. You're going to overthrow the Romans, remember? And, and don't fill the disciples' minds with the fact that you might die. Just You need to encourage them and, and strengthen them and get them the sense that this is going to work out. Don't sow those seeds of fear and doubt in them. Peter's rebuking. And, and it actually has the connotation of the word is not just rebuke. It is as an older person taking a younger person under their arm to tell them how things really are. Peter taking Jesus aside. I want to laugh. I want to say, Peter, oh, Peter. And I kind of want to rebuke Peter. <laughs> Don't you? But how many times do our prayers do the same things? Where we pray for what we want. We pray for the world to happen the way we want it to go. We pray for those things to to happen according to our will and not to God's will. Our idea of the way life should be rather than God's way. Jesus' response to Peter here is really telling. Not just the get behind me Satan, which we often pay attention to, but you do not have the concerns of God in mind, but only human concerns. That word concern is hard to tr 
translate, it's phroneo in the Greek, and it, it has this idea of mind being involved, what's on your mind, but it's even more that, it, it's much more what's on your heart, your desires, your affections. In Peter's mind, and quite frankly in our minds, the way to get success is through power, it, it's through military might, it's it's through having economic freedom. It's having all sorts of resources at our disposal. It's being powerful because we don't have needs. Peter, Peter rebuking Jesus is saying, Jesus, you have all the resources you need to take over the world. What are you doing talking about death and suffering? He has the direction, the affection for the things of the world, the power and the structures of the world. This is how it's done. You overcome God's enemies with power and force. Jesus says, that's not it, Peter. Your heart is bent after the things of the world, the affections of the world, the orientation of the world. You think it's through power and might that God's will will be accomplished. And I'm here to tell you it's through suffering and dying. Vulnerability. What about us? Are we willing to hear that? Are we willing to hear Jesus rebuking Peter, which is actually Jesus saying to Peter, I'm concerned about your heart and the affections that are in your heart. Are we willing to hear Jesus say that to us? That he's concerned about the character of our heart and the things that we are bent towards, orientation that's inside of us. going to invite us to do something. Back to baseball. There's this great tradition in baseball. You stand up and you sing a seventh inning stretch song, right? I figure we're not going to sing Take Me Out to the Ball Game. All right, sorry. Although popcorn and peanuts and Cracker Jacks, it's all good stuff. We're going to sing number 709, just the first verse. So if you open up the red hymnals, number 709, I think this is a fitting song for a seventh inning stretch within the church. See, most of you are there. And I can't carry a tune, so if I'm off tune, so be it. Here we go. Jesus.
Now, some of you caught on because the screen went up a little early. That's all right. The words in the, in the hymnal actually say, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. There's a problem with that. All the weak ones are out there. All the ones who have to risk vulnerability are somewhere else. Someone else. It's not me. Jesus loves me, but I don't have to be weak. I'm going to invite us to stand this time and sing it again, but sing it with the words that are on the screen. And and as we sing it, to recognize that we come to God not with everything put together, not with all the resources and all the great things for God to accomplish great things through us, but we come before God with vulnerability and weakness. We are the weak ones. Please stand. Jesus does something incredible in this text. Not only only does he draw attention to him being the Messiah and, and totally reframe what that means, to say the Messiah has come to save God's people through suffering and through his death. He then invites the people to enter into that suffering. He invites the people to take a risk, to embrace their own vulnerability, to take on his way of living in the world as our own. He called the crowd to him. Notice that? Hey, disciples, I know we've been talking, but this isn't just for us. This is the whole crowd who's around me. This is the way of life. If you're going to follow me, any of you out there, if you're going to follow, this is how it goes. Says it to the whole crowd. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Remember where they are? Remember where they're walking? They're walking on the road to Caesarea Philippi. You know what's alongside the road? Crosses. What's on the crosses? People who have died. People who have been killed. Talk about an object lesson. This is what it means to follow me. Not the success of the military power of the Roman Empire. 
not the religious prestige and power of the leaders that you have so honored and cherished. Way of following Jesus is going to get you killed by the world. You're going to be ostracized. You're going to be declared an enemy. see, when God calls us to follow him, steward your brokenness and your fears. Steward those things that, that you have an affection for that may be misplaced and steward them by, by turning their affection towards Christ and towards his way of life way of life that involves laying down our lives for others. Jesus says to his disciples, just on the night before he goes to the cross, he says to them, no greater love has anyone than this, that they lay down their life for their friends. And I call you my friends. Jesus is saying, I'm going to that cross, and I'm laying down my life for you so that you can really have the abundant life. But the abundant life is not going to be found in all the successes you imagine. The abundant life is found through suffering, through emptying yourself, through pouring yourself out, even, even risking death in order to follow me. If our affections set upon Jesus Christ. If our orientation is to walk in the way of Christ, brothers and sisters, it means laying our lives down for each other. It means spending ourselves on behalf of the poor and the vulnerable. It means risking our good reputation and our comfortable ways of living. It means dying by every standard of success that the world puts in front of us. It means following Jesus Christ in the way of the cross. Trusting that Jesus who loves us, Jesus who died for us, is also the same Jesus who will raise us up on that last day. That we will be seated in the heavenly realms with him according to God's glorious grace in Jesus Christ. And that what we will experience in the new heaven and new earth vastly outweighs even the most difficult suffering we will encounter here on earth. Who do we say Jesus is? Is he the Messiah? Is he just a good teacher? Is he a magic genie to get us the life we want? Is he God in the flesh? And if he's God in the flesh, how is that going to shape the way that we live? Will we risk everything? Follow him. Let's pray.
wide is the road filled with signs and billboards of having an easy, comfortable life. And all the hard work and magical formulas for getting it. Narrow is the road, Lord, that you set before us. Walk in the way of Jesus Christ. To lay down our lives. To suffer. Even to die. And following you. Help us to see clearly today who you are. Bend and reform our affections until they are lined up with the coming of your kingdom. Give us the